You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could open up at Matthew, Matthew and chapter 6. Just while we're doing this, I just want to catch up and feel that this is a really exciting stage in the life of our church. Um, I don't know how many were here last Sunday. We had the Watoto Choir. Let's be honest, they were amazing, weren't they? Yes, you just thought, yeah. what an incredible morning. I know that as a church, we took a, a, a love offering for them. Almost £2,000 was given. And then as a church, we've doubled that. So it's great to be able to vet, invest that into the ministry. This week, we also had Andy Kind, the comedian, with us. I'll be honest, I think it's the funniest comedian I've ever listened to. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. So I thought we had a great week. And two weeks ago, we had a, a gift day. We do this every year. Uh, we do a gift day once a year and just say, isn't it great to, to love God with our money? And I just want to say thank you. £22,000 was given on that day, which was incredible. Yes. I'm so grateful for that. We so appreciate that. If you missed it or you thought, man, that was such fun, I'd like to do it again, the basket will be there and you can do it as part of our time of communion. But what I'm really excited about, above all of those three things, is we're starting a new topic today for six weeks. I can honestly say this topic has been something in the gospel that's changed my life, radically changed my life. I was chatting to somebody else just this week, and they said one of the church preached on this topic, and they said they turned the whole church around. And so I'm coming with a real sense of excitement of what God is going to be saying to us over the next six weeks. I'm just going to preach from one verse. I don't think I've ever done this before, but we're going to do it today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's short. I'm going to read it again. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you know what I pick up from this straight away? Prayer and the Christian life is more about relationship than request. You see, it starts with our Father. Our Father. You see, all that we've been singing about and talking about, get excited about, it's much more to do with the relationship with God than requests that we make. If you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that he threw out this of what we might call the great command before the great commission. Well, everyone knows, I'm sure, of the great commission. It's the end of Matthew, and it says, go into all the world and tell people about Jesus that make them disciples. But before he said, go and do anything, he said, this is the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and love one another. You see, what we discover about God is relationship precedes activity. I don't know about you, but I find it so easy to jump into activity. So easy to think, right, what are we going to do? What's next? And what we realize from this, and I believe that we're going to look at this for the next six weeks, is actually God is our Father. Let's be honest, you now know the answer, so it's probably no point me asking the question. But just imagine back, if if you'd have walked into the meeting this morning and someone had said to you, come on, give me one word for God, what might you have said? How would you describe God? I know as a kid, I probably would have said, 
headmaster. You know, ultimately he wants my good, but I'm a little bit afraid of him. You know what I'm saying? I'm walking around thinking, I hope he doesn't spot me. I hope I keep out of his gaze. I might have thought that, headmaster. Some of you, if you're brutally honest, you might say, Yoda. I think of God as this sort of all-powerful little force that can do amazing things, and I don't quite understand. Maybe you think, actually, if I described God before this morning, you might have said, Google. All I know is I could throw any question, and he'd give me some kind of answer. When Jesus wants to reveal God to us, he uses the word Father. So I've been reading, this is the Gospel of Matthew. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. Three times, just in chapter 5, Jesus has referred to God as Father. The, The verse that I read to you, I know I'm only reading from one verse, but the verse I read to you is one of ten times in this chapter alone when Jesus refers to God as Father. In fact, just in this one gospel, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus refers to God as Father 44 times out in 40 verses. See, Jesus came to reveal what God is like. And the premium word that he uses is Father. God is Father. Now, for some of us, that's a huge challenge. I know that other people, you might even be sitting here now and say, Pete, don't keep saying that word. I struggle with that word. What is a father? A good father is one, I believe, that has authority. That's what a good father is. A good father is one that is faithful. You can depend upon a good father. A good father is one who is generous. They want to give. They want to bless. A good father is affectionate. They're for you, you know what I'm saying? You just always get the picture, don't you? Ruffling your hair, giving a bit of bundle. A good father is present. Not just away at work or not there. The lights are on but no one's home. A good father is present and engaging. A good father is accepting. Just says, I love you. A good father communicates And so often we don't always have good images. Suddenly when Jesus says he's father, we think, ah. To be a Christian is not just to be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a child of the perfect father. That's true of you. I think sometimes if we're really honest, we think, oh, if I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. But actually, the the Bible picture would be this, that actually, if if you're a Christian, then you are a child of your Father in heaven. I've read several books. I I try and quote some of these guys, just so you know, it's not all my own ideas. A guy called Richard Foster, he's a Christian theologian and author, says this. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsessions with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. So this is this guy, and he's trying to describe, actually, God is a father, and actually, as a father, you just want to be with your kids. 
Someone said to me just over coffee, oh, how's your week going? I didn't tell them about how my week was going. I just said, my daughter finishes university and she'll be home next weekend. Because as a father, I just think, I can't wait to have my kids back. Sin is not breaking God's rules, but breaking God's heart. And I think sometimes what we've done is we've just defined sin by I've broken a rule and I've not quite kept a standard. But actually, if you really look at the Bible, I think sin is we break his heart because he is a father who loves us. Sam Storms, he's another U.S. pastor and author, says God's presence, we believe that he's here, comforts me. His power reassures me, but his passion overwhelms me. And sometimes I think, golly, this is a whole plug, I guess you could say, for, for the everyday discipleship on Thursday. I think, how do we live differently because of this? His presence comforts me. Wow, I don't know what your week is like, but I know this. God is with you. Every day, every moment, every bus ride, every email, God is with you. His power reassures me. We can pray and things can change. I mean, answer prayers. Why wouldn't you want to go to and say, God answers prayer. His power is incredible. But his passion overwhelms me. Because he's a father who loves. He's a perfect father to you. Mark Stibby, he's written three books I've read of his just on this. He says, God is an immensely kind, long-suffering, loving, and perfect father. I wish I could have longer just to try and describe the father that we're going to be looking at. As I said, in Matthew, there are 40 verses. I've, I've only read one to start. I would love to go through all the other 39 verses. I won't. But I do just want to pick out that Matthew gives us a clue as to this great father that we come to. In Matthew 6 and verse 18, it says this, so that it will not be obvious to others. This is when you're fasting. Don't make a big show of it, basically. Just, you know... Skip your lunch, but don't tell everyone, oh, I'm not eating because I'm fasting. He said, it'd be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I love that. I've no idea who put in the offering two weeks ago, but your father in heaven sees everything. I mean, don't you just love that? He's that kind of father. I don't know what my kids are doing half the time. You know, let's be frank. They're just, but if ever I see anything, I delight in He sees the whole time. That's the Father that we have. He gives us good things. It says in Matthew 7, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ah, what an incredible Father that we come to. You know, I mean, Jesus unpacked it, doesn't it? You know, if you ask for bread, how many fathers go, oh, here's a scorpion. Oh, no, no, good father wouldn't do that. How much more our father in heaven? We read in Matthew 10, you know, basically when you're in trouble and you haven't got a clue what to say, it says, 
It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It's like when you're going through the mill and you really feel under pressure and you're not quite sure, the Spirit of your Father is there. Because that's the Father that we have. He cares for you. It tells us in Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your Father's care. He's all-knowing. Jesus was even asked the question in Matthew 24 about the day and the hour when he will return. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Father is all-knowing. This is this amazing Father that we're going to be thinking about. He didn't say, call me Yoda. He said, call me Father. I mean, there's just something of intimacy and tenderness and closeness that is mind-blowing. Jack Frost, he's another author, and I mean, he should be a weatherman, I know. He's an author and Bible teacher. He says this, there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you more than he does right now. And there is nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less than he does right now. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. That's why this amazing grace is just so incredible, isn't it? Wendy Alex, she was involved in God TV. She's a writer, TV producer. She said this, his joy in his fellowship with his children. He is a father. He is a father after whom all fatherhood is named. And the father loves his children. He longs to fellowship with his children, to play with his children, to laugh and dance and sing and talk with his children. Sometimes we sing that song, oh, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. That's, this is really what we're picking up from Scripture. This is great news, isn't it? I mean, this is phenomenal. I'll tell you why it's so good news. Because if you're under the age of 35, and if you're not, you might want to pretend you are, but you might not when I tell you this. If you're under the age of 35, according to the Center for Social Justice, it has been described as the fatherless generation. Half of all children born in the UK are raised by one parent, usually the mother. The effect of the absence of father, according to this study, has been devastating. 50% more likely to fail at school, have low self-esteem, struggle and make friends. They struggle with their behavior. The sheer financial cost of this one fundamental social ill, according to this report, is £49 billion per year, more than the government's whole defence budget. One in six children no longer lives with their father. 8% of birth certificates in Britain do not even reveal the father's identity. And yet, we know that the majority of a child's identity is formed through the father-child relationship. This is a huge challenge. God wants to reveal himself as a father, and yet if we're really honest, we live in a nation of fatherlessness. Some of you, I'm aware, would have grown up with a performance-orientated father. If you do well, he's pleased. 
Some of you would have grown up with an assertive father that was always telling you what to do, an authoritative father or even an abusive father. Freud. How many times did you expect Freud to be quoted in church? He said this, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. And yet so often we've grown up in this whole thing of, and and do you know what happens? Is when we don't get it, we go for counterfeit affections. What do I mean by that? You see, if we don't know the love of a father, we, we, we pursue passions, addictions to food, sex, porn, alcohol, drugs. We try and have these passions that fill the hole because there's no father. If we're not into passions, we could be into possessions. Actually, how can I fill my home? How can I, I, I make things look really good? We want to do that because we've missed the love of a father. If it's not possessions, it can be position. We want the praise of others. We want the next promotion at work. We just want them to say, well done. We want recognition. Maybe if it's not position, it is performance. We do things rather than be with people because there's been a hold of the father's love. Maybe if we don't know the love of a father, we look to people even our husband or our wife, to give us what only God can give. Or even places. How many people do you know that you say, if only I had a home in the country, if only I had this better car, if only there's something, if I could be in another place, I'd be happy. As I told you, we had this comedian, Andy Kind. I've been reading his book this week. Very funny guy. Uh, It's interesting, his own relationship with his father. He says this, One thing is certain. By far the greatest ambition for any son is to make his own dad proud. By far the greatest fear is that he won't. I thought, what a telling insight. So many of us, if we're really honest... You think, God, do I still live to make my father proud? Do I still live with a fear that I won't? Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, says a lot of people reject the idea of God as father if they've had a competitive relationship with their own father. I mean, some of these stats might not help bring it across. I read this story this week, true story. It was a, it was a chaplain in a prison. And uh, what he wanted to try and do was try and help the prisoners. He thought, when it came to Mother's Day, which is in March, he thought, I'm going to offer every prisoner a free Mother's Day card. And uh, he offered them out. There's 500 prisoners in the prison. All 500 took a free Mother's Day card. And, And because he wanted to help these prisoners, he said, if you write the card and give it to me, I will post them all for you. All 500 prisoners took a Mother's Day card, wrote it, and it was posted. Well, if you know anything about a church leader, he thought, well, that worked really well. (laughs) Let's see if I can repeat this. So when it came to Father's Day, he said to all 500 prisoners, I'll buy anyone a Father's Day card. And if you write it, I'll post it. How many out of 500 wrote a Father's Day card? None. Unbelievable, isn't it? 
Suddenly there'd been this thing or this pain. Not one single prisoner thought I'd write a Father's Day card. So many just struggled. Even the Watutu Choir, they were here last week. If you know the story, it's one church that have adopted 3,000 orphans. I find it fascinating. They have started a program called Father's Heart. And basically, this is men from the church that commit themselves to being father figures and a positive role model in these children's lives. They help them with their homework, they have fun with them, and they even, you know, sort of disciple the older boys. So I believe we have a father in heaven, and this is a desperate need for our nation. So, okay, then, there's one thing that I've got to talk about. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be picking up a topic each week about the Father's heart for us. The one thing that I want to say to you today is the Father loves you unconditionally. The Father loves you unconditionally. Many of us, if you've read the Bible, you know well a story. There's a story in the Bible of this dad that had the two boys... One of the boys thought, forget this, I'm not going to hang around. Father, give me my inheritance right now. So he takes half of his inheritance, which was a real cuss in those days. In an honor culture, he was basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. He goes away, he, he ends up partying, the whole thing goes horribly wrong. He ends up looking after pigs until he comes to his senses. And the Bible tells us that he turns and he, he heads home. In one sense, the son had lost everything. He'd lost his home, he'd lost his money, he'd lost his dignity, he'd lost his reputation, he'd lost his security, he'd lost his honor, but Jesus told the story of the one thing that the son never lost, the love of his father. Because God's love is unconditional. When preaching on that story, and I wish I could have unpacked it more, C.H. Spurgeon, he was a London Baptist preacher, He said this, God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. Can you conceive it? I do not think you can, but if you can imagine it, I hope you will realize when God's arm is about our neck and his lips are on our cheek kissing us much, we understand more than preachers or books can ever tell us of his love. Spurgeon was saying this whole picture of this father that runs is a picture of God. And what God says is, I love you. I love you. God is relational. He's not remote. God wants to embrace, not exclude. And yet so often we think, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. It's unconditional love. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, isn't that incredible? I don't know about you. I grew up in church. I heard about God for a long time. But the danger was I often thought God was the angry one and Jesus was the sort of the pacifier in the midst. But actually, it was God's plan to send his son because he so loves you that he thought, I will send my son to die for you. 
1 John 3, this is a letter written in the New Testament. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Wow. I can almost hear it now. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. My wife doesn't even like that song. She tells me it's probably heretical. I've got it on my phone. I downloaded it. This is really sad, you know, but whenever I come back from a run and I just sort of feel tired like this, I listen to that song. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. I wonder if you've been running and you're tired spiritually. I wonder if you feel like, Phew, I've just got home and I feel bushed. How do you feel about yourself? Because the song is he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Galatians 2, this was a letter that Paul wrote to the church. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, this is breathtaking, isn't it? It's like this morning in the worship, you think, oh, you just want to pause, you just want to feel the love. I wish I could do that. I had wondered about getting some Lynx bullets. I don't know if you've seen the adverts. You know what I'm saying? You just start spraying them around, and it's just like it's irresistible love is in the place. <laughs> I was thinking I should run around everywhere spraying Lynx, and you could walk away and think, oh, yeah, irresistible love. And I thought I'm bound to trigger somebody's asthma or something. <laughs> I think, how could I convey to you, this is how much he loves you? Could you not go away almost feeling that? If you went away, would you... Wow, he loves me. He loves me. Billy Graham, some would consider the preacher who preached to more people than any other, definitely in the last century. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. I love you. You see, our feelings come and go, but God's love does not. Our feelings come and go, but God's love does not. You see, you treat others the way you understand God treats you. You feel about others the way you feel God feels about you. If you know that you are loved unconditionally, you will love others and yourself with the same. But if you feel that you have to perform for God's love, then you will need others to perform to be of value to you. You can either live in this sort of sense of fear or a sense of the Father's embrace. We've had a bit of call and response, so let's do it in the sermon as well, eh? I'd love for everyone to say, God is love. God is love. God loves you. God loves, you. God loves me. Now, I don't know if you're tiring over three sentences, but I think you found the first sentence easier to say than the last. It was definitely said with more conviction. Oh, God is love. Oh, God loves you. But do you go away confident? God loves me. That's the truth of what I'm trying to say this morning. If we're going to look at this whole thing of the Father heart of God, the one thing I want you to go is, He loves you 
unconditionally. A.W. Tozer, he was an American pastor and preacher. The love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not just love populations, he loves people. God does not just love masses, he loves men and women. God loves people. God loves you. Let's be frank, you might have turned up because you thought the choir was coming back this week. Man, I've been swizzled. No, no, God wanted you here so that he thought, I want you to get this message. I love you. I love you. This is why we so often pray. This is what it means to become a Christian. Basically, when, when you become a Christian, you are saying, Father, I'm coming home. Please make me your child. I turn from sin. I accept your forgiveness made possible through Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. I now place my faith and trust in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. Thank you for letting me come home. That's what it means to become a Christian. It means we've been overcome by the love of a father. I'd love to pray for some people now. You see, the danger really is, is that you could all go and someone say, oh, what did Pete speak on this morning? And if you manage to stay awake, you say, oh, Father. But do you go away knowing that he really loves you in your heart or have you heard the word in your head? I would love to pray that you really know God is your Father who loves you. I don't want to belittle this at all. I feel very nervous even addressing it. But some of you have had a bad father. And I want you to pray that you know the good father. Some of you think, well, I am a father and I just need to model this better to my own kids. And some of you, you're not yet a father, but actually you can model it to other kids. In fact, I'd like to challenge some of the men here. Why don't you come to the family's worship thing and show kids how men worship God? You see, we don't want to just be those that think, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I honestly think this should change the way we view God. It'll honestly change the way we live for him. He's a father. It changes everything, doesn't it? Honestly, I would say for me, my, my own story... I guess I, I grew up in a home with lots of rules. And it felt like there was quite a few things that we, we did to try and maybe please God or because we thought it was the right thing to do. I, I'm privileged that my parents brought me up to read the Bible every day. I'm privileged my parents brought me up that even when I only had 10p, 1p went into the collection. I'm privileged my parents brought me up to love the church. But you know this. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, God's a grandfather. You see, I had to come to a personal relationship with God myself and understand that he's a father who loves me. It's relationship. You, you can teach a few rules, but you've got to let people grow in relationship. 
And I would love you to think, oh, this is a relationship I've got. I know the sermon's been a real success if everyone turns up next week with, oh, how he loves me on their mobile phone. (laughs) Actually, I don't think that would be a success at all. What I think would be a real success is if people knew the Father sung over them every day. I love you. If you'd like to respond, I'm not going to embarrass anyone. It could be on any of those points, praying to know God as your Father. You think, actually, I've not had a good dad, and I want to pray for a fresh start. If you think, actually, I'm going to stand and I'm going to commit to loving kids in the church and be a good father figure for some kids that are going to need that, why don't you just stand right now? I'm just going to pray for all those that have stood. I'm not going to ask you to come out. I just want to pray for you. I will confess right now I would be standing. Father, I thank you for your unconditional love. I thank you, Jesus, that when you came to reveal the Father, you came to reveal God, you you used that word Father. I thank you we come to our Father in heaven. I thank you this morning it's about relationship before request. I thank you that we don't have to try and earn your affection. I thank you we don't have to try and be good enough to get your eye. I thank you we don't have to live in fear of can we please our Father. I thank you you choose to express unconditional love to every one of us. God, I pray for those particularly that are stood. I pray that we just be aware of your unconditional love. Lord, I'm not selling a song, but I am selling a concept every day. Let them just be aware that you sing over them. I love you. I love you. I love you. Father, we do want to catch your heart. Lord, I pray for everyone in the church that's been a Christian longer than 10 years. And the temptation is to get a little crusty, a little stale. I pray that we'll be aware of a Father who just wants closeness and intimacy. That every one of us know you more and more intimately, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.